Welcome to the Chopping Wood Inside podcast, the Twin Peaks podcast for conspiracy theorists and aficionados. I'm your host, Murphy. I think Tom is uh, out there somewhere. What is this, kindergarten? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I love that line. From uh, We were here to uh, review. We just got finished watching part 13. Uh, Tom, what are your hot take impressions? I, I really enjoyed the uh, episode. I uh, After last week, which the first half, which I thought was very, very strong, I felt the second half. Um, for me, the pacing, I struggled with the pacing, and especially the Audrey, um, Charlie scene, um, and, uh, and the Roadhouse. But this particular episode, I thought, had a much better pacing. I really liked seeing the uh, return of Mr. C. I thought that was a fantastic scene. Got a lot of interesting information. I loved the ending. I just The ending in part, I can't remember what part it was. It was seven or eight with the diner, the credits, and now with Big seven, Ed. Yeah. I, I just love these little subtle, more character take endings as opposed to a musical performance. Absolutely, it also showed like it also showed uh, Big Ed's like loneliness. I really liked the fact that really struck a chord character wise as well. So yeah, he had a he had a line um, when he was um, with when Bobby came in and uh, Ed and Norma invited him to join him for dinner, and Bobby's like, no, 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 you guys, you know, you, you guys eat by yourself. I already ordered something, and Ed said, it's no good eating alone. Now sit down, and then I find it, you know, <laughs> you know, interesting. When the, the episode ends with Big Ed eating and there alone. He's alone. Like, that's know, what I mean. Well, that's alone. what he feels. Right. He, he was saying right. something that was revealing about his character. So yeah, I really like that scene. Um, just hearing Big Ed's voice, it made me feel like an uncle. Like I felt like a familiar uncle was there. I liked seeing him and hearing him again. Uh, you know, I, I thought that this episode was kind of like last episode, and that not a lot really happened. Um, I thought the Audrey scene in this one was a lot better. But I thought the other scenes weren't as impactful. I didn't dislike it, but uh, I thought that all the other stuff going on uh, in the last episode, other than the Audrey, was a little more interesting to me. But there was some really interesting stuff in this episode. Like, you and I kind of thought about there's some time jumps going on that I think we'll talk about later um, that were really interesting but very subtle. Uh, where do you want to start, dude? Like, where, where should we go from the beginning? Let's just uh, let's just go right, you know, right from the top. Let's start right off with the uh, the Mitchum brothers, um, the Cooper and uh, uh, the girls conga line through the Lucky Seven <laughs> Insurance <laughs> hallway. That was into an insane Valley logic and music. Office. That was wild. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, no, I love that scene. I love the intro of the scene. I loved Sizemore like hiding, you know. <laughs> behind his desk he didn't want the Mitchum brothers to see him and I loved how Candy presented the gifts to uh, Battling Bud I think it was was it a box of cash it was uh, yeah, monogrammed box of cash. diving yeah. <laughs> cufflinks that were monogrammed and yeah. the keys to a car which would match Dougie's BMW wouldn't so, that be like illegal to be getting payouts like that like from clients <laughs> that you just can't insurance money to they're all like thanks a lot this is great they didn't like seem to think there's an ethical problem with that but of course Dougie wouldn't notice but do you think they've been up all night partying this is the next day and they've just kept rocking I, I do like because um, didn't Bud or Bushnell say 
uh, Dougie, you, need, you should call your wife. Oh, yes, that's right. So they had been a party. So I think that was the case that they've been going all night long and then went on a shopping spree um, at some point. But I, I did. I love the intro of the, just the, the the feel of it, the, the vibe and uh, just the, the, the fun, you know, of the of the scene of the characters. I mean, just classic Lynch, absurdist comedy and with Dougie in the back, or Cooper in the background, just repeating everyone's line. But I loved how that that uh, how we got started. Um, in the episode, and yeah, then, what, I love how they what, also cut to Tom Sizemore, and you get to see them like dancing in the conga line, but through the glass, so it was quiet, and he's freaking out on the end there, you know. So it ties back into your theory that we we're going to go back to Tom Sizemore's storyline, which we did big time next. Well, yeah, that yeah, a couple of things with that. I think Sizemore actually called Duncan Todd, if I'm not mistaken, um, like when he was watching that, and basically said, obviously their plan didn't work, and Todd gave him one final day to eliminate Cooper. And um, also with that, I think the music, which is very bizarre, something I've never really heard in a Lynch, a Lynch project, but something came to me. And I don't think this is the same music, but it certainly was something similar from my recall of On the Air. Do you remember that show Lynch and Frost produced like right after the uh, Yep, I do, I do. Yeah, they only aired three episodes, but I wound up seeing, they produced seven. I, I saw the entire series at some point much later, and the final episode is completely bonkers and um, there's a, a musical cue in that scene that they actually repeat that reminded me of that so I'm going to do a little bit more research on that uh, but for anyone out there who wants to check out On the Air check out the pilot and check out the last episode and skip two through six it's really interesting <laughs> it's on YouTube right <laughs> I don't know I don't know where I saw it but um, it, it probably is yeah I think the Japanese Laserdisc was kind of the, the most prominent way to to see that show but uh but I digress. We uh, actually next went to, I believe, the uh, the home of Janie E. And the gym set arrived. I think they, they asked the... A new car! <laughs> That's right, a new car. <laughs> right. Man, that gym set was awesome. That was like the super Lynchian lodge. I would love to be a kid and have that gym set. It was very mystical, magical. It had like a rainbow in it. Uh, yeah, it was really cool. Spotlight going. <laughs> Where's the spotlight, the spotlight coming from? Is it on the roof? <laughs> <laughs> Where was the spotlight when uh, Leland was killing Maddie? I mean, I think just it's a Lynch staple, It's a, it's a right? large spotlight. Okay, I see. <laughs> but, awesome. So just to, right off the bat, so we were in Vegas. We didn't get much of Vegas, obviously, in the previous episode. So I'm, uh, I'm glad that we returned to this storyline only because, for me, I wanted to wrap up because I still feel it's the least interesting uh, subplot of the whole narrative. I mean, obviously, I still find it compelling, just not, you know, compared to the other storylines. But so I'm glad we're getting at least some momentum here. We'll talk a little bit more about a couple of the other scenes um, in Vegas. But I believe we next move to Western Montana. And uh, Mr. C, I'm assuming this is the farm. Correct. Yeah, finally, that, that's what I was about to say. We have we finally got to see the farm. We've been talking about that for a few episodes. It didn't. It actually didn't look like a farm because I didn't see any <laughs> animals or anything. But yeah, we got to see the farm. So Mr. C finally caught up with our friend Ray. <laughs> yeah, I loved when he arrived. He He's gets back. out of the. <laughs> <I> love Ray. <laughs> they're watching him on that huge monitor, and Mr. C exits his uh, truck, and you hear him say, or he says, "Hey, Ray, you in here somewhere?" And uh, he goes, came to see you, buddy. I just loved hey, buddy. those hey, lines. <laughs> I just <laughs> lo- like there's no one's going to fuck with Mr. C. But um, so you want to go ahead and uh, continue on with the scene, how it uh, unfolded? 
Uh, well, Ray obviously has the whole gang up there of toughs. So they they basically lured Mr. C in because they've got they outnumber him, and so they got Mr. C to come on upstairs. And uh, you know, I thought they were going to torture him or mess you know do something. And so what what they did was the ultimate test of skill was going to be a arm wrestling match, <laughs> which just came completely. Did that tie back into the firewalk with me? Was it the firewalk with me, Deer Meadow, like police sheriff or something like an arm wrestling champion or something like that? That's what I thought about, but. Um, Cable yeah. bend steel, I think. Cable bending steel, thing. okay, it was something like that. Yeah. So yeah, we ended up getting a, a really surreal arm wrestling battle uh, for the life of Ray. <laughs> and if Mr. C won, then Mr. C got the the lead henchman's gang. So that was a pretty good deal. Um, and uh, so really, Mr. C just basically toys with them, you know, going back and forth. It was a. Uh, I thought it was going to be a longer scene, but it wasn't. But I thought it was gonna, actually going to end up ripping off the guy's arm because the guy was way bigger. But he ends up, uh, you know, just toying with the guy and you know beating him and then smashing his face in and killing him <laughs> so he wins he's got a whole new gang he needed some crew more crew you know Chantal and Hutch are overworked Ray's gone rogue <laughs> now they got he's got a whole gang now God knows what he's going to do with these guys because well, they're like he boss <laughs> they call start calling him boss immediately I think so there it is Mr. C's got a whole crew yeah but he he said he told them he doesn't want to be their boss he only wants Ray so as soon as he wins the arm wrestling contest which for me, I, 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 the whole scene reminded me, not, didn't remind me of, but I couldn't help thinking of that scene in The Fly with Jeff Goldblum. Do you remember that arm wrestling scene that he had? Uh, briefly, yeah. He actually um, like breaks this guy's arm, and it's uh, a very yeah. I thought it was going to be a lot worse grotesque. than it was. When he did punch him in the face, was there any kind of lodgy and swizzle thing in the punch? Was there anything weird? I don't know, but I mean, that guy was huge, and Mr. Yeah, C just clocked him, him and right literally just, like, he killed him. I mean, he just... He, I mean, his face was just, it was like, distorted. Wasn't that, like, an old thing when you were a kid? Like, they're like, dude, if you get punched in the nose, you can just go right to your brain and kill you. So That's true. Happened. So <laughs> he killed him. Good shot. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, right. Uh, but I think the big reveal of the scene was that, okay, there's the whole crowd still upstairs watching this. They've been watching Ray get interrogated. And Ray's, you know, you wanted to talk about that scene? Because I'll give you the cherry on top of the end of it, which I think is very interesting. Um, but little Dickie Horn makes an appearance that I think is kind of prescient. But beforehand, what all does he try to get from Ray? He tries to, well, get him to you know, talk about Philip Jeffries and stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, this there was a lot of information um, received. You it three times already. Um, I only watched it once. So. <laughs> no, just twice. Tell. I watched it just twice, yeah. Twice. But yeah, okay, so I think what Mr. C initially asked Ray was who hired to kill him. And Ray... Uh, tells him that it came through, I guess his, the message came through a man named Philip Jeffries, but he says that he never met Jeffries. Obviously, I think all of their communication was via phone because um, I think he says, like, at least that was the name that he gave him. But um, the, I, it's not really a big reveal but because I think we already pieced this together, but the one component of the, the, the I'm going to say that's the breakout scene at the jail um, because obviously Mr. C facilitated that, you know, with his information that he had regarding Mr. Strawberry to um, Ward Murphy. But Ray insinuates that Jeffries, like, helped organize that, you know, uh, escape, so to speak, because Ray says that Jeffries told him that Mr. C was going to kill him. So that was another reason for, obviously, Ray to plug Mr. C. But the big, big, big reveal, I think of that whole thing and there's a couple other things we'll get into but it was the Al Cave ring is that Ray says that night that they were to leave the prison right before he left or right after he left his cell a guard gave him the ring 
And I think Mr. C asks him, like, what guard? And Ray says, well, I never, see, I never saw him before. So some guard gave him the Owl Cave ring, and a message from Jeffrey to Ray was to put that on Mr. C after he killed him. So what we find out, though, is after Ray shoots Mr. C, or, or Mr. C shoots Ray, he tells him to put on that ring, and then he kills him, and the ring disappears, and both the ring and Ray's dead body appear in the lodge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the black lodge. Did, he have, a, did he have a bloody stomach as well? Oh, I didn't notice that. I, did, he shot him in the leg and the head, right? I can't remember. I thought for some reason he had a bloody stomach, but maybe I'm wrong about that. But he yeah, might. his, his body ended up in the lodge, and then, then it looks like uh, the one our man put the ring back on the little golden table. And uh, there, uh, Do you think there's only one ring, or there's more than one ring out there? I think it's the one ring. I think it was the one ring that we saw created in Firewalk with me during the convenience store scene um, where the man from another place says, with this ring, I thee wed. And if you notice that Formica table, which he mentions, green is its color. If you if you like pause it, you can see a part of that table is like cut out. And for me, that ring was made from that Formica table. Really? And so I yeah, I, I, I mean, I could be completely wrong, but that's that's what I've always you know thought. And so I think there is just the one ring. And that also I also believe that perhaps since we know the one our man is an inhabiting spirit, just like Mike, just like um, Bob is that. Whoever that guard was who gave him the ring, I don't think it was just any guard that was employed by Ward Murphy. I think it would have to be someone who's in the know of this, obviously. And it very well could be the one our man himself or the one <laughs> our man. security guard? <laughs> possibly. Awesome. Or inhabiting a security guard to give him the ring because he's the last person. So it's like Philip Jeffries and then the one-armed man then, if you reply with that, would be like Philip Jeffries and the one-armed man would be working together to take out Mr. C. Because he said, why does, why does Philip Jeffries want to kill me? He says he wants what's inside of you. you know. Yeah, he says exactly. Bob. He, he, no, he says. Bob. He doesn't say it, but we're implying, right, Bob? Well, yeah, of course it's Bob. But he yeah. says what they want, not what yeah, Jeffrey wants. Yeah, I thought like the, him and the woodsman. Well, but the woodsmen were the helping Mr. C after he got shot. Oh, yeah. See, what the... F- oh, okay. So right? this is interesting now. So does that mean Bob still... It kind of ties into your theory that Bob is still inside of him. Oh, I think it was confirmed in this in this episode that yeah, Bob that's is, interesting. is certainly I think it does lead, imply himself. more than... Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, Maybe so, not, though. Maybe he could be faking it. We don't know that for sure. But no, we another, don't. That's an interesting development. I think that definitely... There's been a lot of questions about whether Bob was in or out of Mr. C. I think this definitely gives us some more percentage points uh, possibility that it's still inside of him. So Yeah, I, I'm, I'm convinced that, that uh, Bob never left Mr. C. I think what it was... Obviously, it was a striking visual, and it really kind of explained what the woodsmen were doing when they that during their ritual, trying to revive Mr. C. And by showing Bob within him, I think not only to the audience, but to Ray, who later confirmed in his conversation with Jeffries that he saw something that might be the key to all this, this whole thing. And then he says tonight that that is specifically what Jeffries and whoever Jeffries is working with wants is Bob. And that's also tied into part two, when whoever Mr. C was talking to said, I will be with Bob, you're going back and I will be with Bob again. But so it kind of lines up that like the lodge spirits, the one-armed man and Philip Jeffries are on one side, and the woodsman and Bob and Mister C are on the other side. Yeah, I mean, I, I, right. yes, I agree, and I think that there are other 
people, other players on the side of Jeffries and or the one-armed man. And I think one of them might be one of our Blue Rose task force. Yeah, this is Whether like a, a Black Lodge civil war going on. We're seeing like different factions and stuff. <laughs> and Bob is like the right. new like, you know, possible rising. You know, he wants to take over. Maybe he wants to be president of the lodge. He wants to rule the lodge, rule the world. Or yeah, he just all these woodsmen well. still, or if they're pushing, if they came out and they pushed Bob back in, then they basically are doing Bob's bidding, I would think. And Bob wants to stay inside Mr. C so that they could be like creating this revolutionary army. You know what I mean? Like to like up, up, up in the whole bullshit, like one arm or uh, little man's or, you know, rules of the black lodge. They want to, they want to maybe make it even more evil, Tom. More well, yeah. And we know that, well, we think that, well, we know, we can assume that the woodsman and Bob are linked, not only because of the scene where, when Mr. C was shot, but also later in part eight, they all look uh, when we, <laughs> went uh, after the nuclear explosion we, we saw the convenience store and we saw all the woodsmen like kind of like scattering around like ants outside the convenience store and then the next scene we saw was the the experiment and or mother um spewing out that umbilical cord of all those eggs and the bob bubble so i do think that there is obviously a direct correlation we're, we're now seeing this supernatural side we have these two sides with maybe jeffries and the one-armed man but i don't necessarily think they're in cahoots but they very well could be now the one thing that we we talked about the spirit mike who is was in within the one-armed man as philip gerard it's possible very well could be possible that whoever we think philip jeffries is could be host to Mike. Yeah, pull, pulling out the old Mike theory again. We still have never seen Mike. Right, correct. <laughs> I yeah. Still, that would be cool. Yeah, I think that would be awesome. So I would love to get some more movement on the whole Philip Jeffries angle because it's been such a mystery the entire time, you know? Like, do you think we'll ever see him? No, I, I agree with you. And, uh, I, I mean, come on. I, I really, really hope so because it would, A, either be David Bowie and either a secret cameo or some kind of unused footage or CGI or if they recast or somehow got creative somehow I, I do I think I think we have to in these last five hours get some kind of you know visual of Philip Jeffries and you know I'll leave it up to Lynch to go ahead and uh, um, present it in whatever way he wants to obviously but I do think so and I also think uh, it was another interesting tidbit that Mr. C asked Ray if Jeffries ever mentioned Major Briggs Major Briggs that's right he just yeah. said he didn't. He didn't. Yeah, and that still is something that I'm. And then he shot him in the head. Or he got the coordinates. <laughs> right. Do you think he really gave him the real coordinates? Because he goes, "How do you know? You're going to give me? You're going to trust me?" <laughs> well, <laughs> he says you trust that. The coordinates I give you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I then he, oh, he gave him. Well, he, he did give a clue though. That he said something though, right at the end. That he goes like, "I know what that is," and he shot him. Like, what was that? Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, you know what? You're right. He um, doesn't Ray say after he got the coordinates from Hastings and then I think he said from you know his actually from his pretty secretary Betty but then I think he says to Mr. C I know who you are and then I think that's when he gives him the coordinates so what does that imply he knows who but I thought he said something at the very like what were the last lines that Ray said he said but you don't he said he said two lines oh 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 yeah I know what it is but what Mr. C asked was where is Philip Jeffries and I think Ray hesitated or said that he didn't know where he was. And then Mr. C said, well, you know, I can make you tell me. And Ray says something about Philip Jeffries being at the Dutchman's. Yes. Is that right? That's it. Yes, that's it. And then bang, that's when he shot. And he goes, but it's not really a boom. And he shot because he was sitting because I know what that is. Like the second he said Dutchman, he knew exactly where that was. So exactly. He, and he no longer it? needed Ray. Yeah. So boom, Ray's dead. 
isn't like Valhalla uh, Ray. We liked Ray as well. <laughs> we hated him for a while, but then he became a really good character. So there he goes. I wonder if he'll come back because he is in the lodge laying around. So probably in the dead corpse room with Dougie and all the other guys that have you know randomly made it into the lodge. <laughs> right. I mean, now does that? Do you think? That the wearer of the ring, whether it's Dougie, Ray, Laura Palmer, Teresa Banks, the people that we know that we've seen, and then we could also go to the secret history of Twin Peaks, Jack Parsons and and Tricky Dick Nixon. When they die, do they wind up in the Black Lodge? Yeah, so like Jack, yeah, I think maybe Tricky Dick, Jack Parsons, everybody that's worn the the lodge ring when they died are stuck in some purgatory space <laughs> in the Black Lodge. I think that I totally think that's true now. So that's awesome. I hope we get to see that room. That'd be very well. The Dutchman's entertaining. I agree. I think that the the Dutchman's. You know, I mean, Mark Frost has got this just reservoir of all this great like literary knowledge. Isn't like? Are you familiar with the Flying Dutchman? Isn't that like a ghost ship? Of, oh, uh, I have no idea. I mean, yeah, you mean? I oh, okay. Well, I think I, I think it might be. And I'm going to do. I'm going to brush up on it. But that when he said the Dutchman's, that's what I initially thought was the Flying Dutchman, and I always attributed to like a ghost ship. And obviously, if it's attributed to Philip Jeffries, who's a very ghostly like presence, even Mr. C said you're still nowhere. So there might be something with the actual reference to the Dutchman's. But don't you think that like the reason why that he made him he just put the ring on <laughs> before he shot him that like maybe because like the ring came to like the, the, the one our man or whomever let that out of the lodge uh, through Philip Jeffries was expecting to have Mr. C come through wearing that ring. So he put it on <laughs> to have Ray come through as like a fuck you to the to the one our man. Right. <laughs> oh, exactly. You know what I mean? Oh, I like that... you thought it was going to be me. Oh, look at this guy. <laughs> this guy instead wah, wah, that's good right? so that's <laughs> a little flourish that's that's twice now right you're yeah, supposed to go twice. in at 253 and <laughs> he's just now, fucking with yeah. them yeah he's just foiling them constantly so <laughs> no that's good yeah i didn't really think about that but that could be that very well could be true yeah well so, so. that okay well so the final part of the scene that i wanted to get to in the beginning was that we after all this is happening we cut away to that giant screen and all the bad guys are upstairs watching all this stuff right and then out of the crowd who who comes but little dicky horn and he walks up to the front of the room just like luke skywalker like seeing vader you know like and i was like holy <laughs> shit like he doesn't know who he is probably but i felt like he was like who is this person like maybe he he's like he's might be connected to me somehow like he speaks to me so i felt some connection between him uh, walking forward and, and looking at the screen that maybe he might be his father. What do you think? Well, um, I, I don't know about the lineage, the father. How the fuck did little Dickie Horn end up with those guys anyway? <laughs> well, the only connection that I can make is through Red, that if these guys, and I think it, they're like Renzo's gang, I think that's what they're referred to, because I think the guy that Mr. C arm wrestled with was named Renzo. So with little, little Dickie Horn being there, and we know that he was on the run, and obviously this is some kind of criminal empire that maybe um, Red is a part of that, and that would connect um, whatever yeah, Western Montana sense. to Twin Peaks. That's the only thing that I can come up with, and that's how we got there, perhaps. What do you think about the feelings that I thought about little Dickie Horn being there and seeing? No, I, I agree Mr. with you C. that he, like when he when he mm-hmm. walked up to that monitor and saw Mr. C, I felt that. There was some familiarity. Father? No, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I'm not going to go there with that. Like, I like that guy's style. There's something about him murdering that really speaks to me. 
right. No, Something, I mean, right? when we'll talk about the Audrey connection later with with her scene, but um, I, I don't know. I didn't get the same feeling with the father, but I uh, father possibly like the lineage, well, at least like I, plot narrative wise, don't you think maybe that like he's there for a reason, right? To see Mister C, right? Like it's it's lining up plot wise for him to be his his son. I agree that they're now that we are connecting little Dickie Horn with Mr. C with this scene that I don't think it's just going to drop off. I think there was a very good reason why a he's at the farm and b they made it so pronounced that you know he felt something when he saw Mr. C. I just still can't believe for me that it's oh, all tied into a a sexual assault or rape while Audrey is in a coma. And I mean. I just, I just don't. I mean, how would he? Well, it could have Audrey's, driven Audrey like you know semi-mental. I mean, the scene we see later makes it actually ties into that as well. Well, yeah. Well, let's you know? uh, let's we'll tie we'll tie we'll that, that or later, yeah. talk we about. We can move on to the next scene. We don't. If you, yeah, we can keep keep going. No, I, I, I. But I like your um, theory, the the Skywalker Vader. I I didn't put that together, but when you told me that, I was like, ah, that's very interesting because he he senses something when he's watching. I mean, he almost I saw like he gulped a little yeah, bit. Something. There's a. There was something, and I, it was very interesting. I liked that. I liked that whole set piece, but I really loved that final. Touch I felt like he was like kind of fascinated and kind of like he respected this guy. Like he was, you know, he was showing some stuff there. Right, right. So. It was just so unexpected to see him. I, I didn't, I didn't. I he also looked he taller than I thought. He's not really little, Dicky Horn, because he was taller than the, most of the other guys. I was like, okay. I noticed I that know, too. I didn't really notice that. I was like, okay, he's not little. So <laughs> I agree. I just, reveal. <laughs> so I he's almost assume. probably the same, probably a similar height as Cooper as well. Then at six feet, right? Oh, so you're going with there. That's, mm-hmm. I see where you're going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, let's go to the next scene, which is the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department and the uh, Detectives Fusco. And, uh, you want to talk about the big reveal there? Uh, well, we've been waiting. You know, they, they, a couple of episodes ago, they ran Dougie's Prince, and we thought that their crack police work was going to come up with some, like, amazing finds. You know, and so what well, they do actually, they, they pull it up. They're like, "Hey, <laughs> I don't remember, honestly, I don't remember any of the other dialogue." But the only thing that happened was that they say, "Hey, you know what? We got those those prints back, and the FBI. They say this guy is an escaped FBI agent and just got escaped from prison." And they were like, "What a mistake!" And they just start laughing about it, crumple the piece of paper up, and throw it in the trash, <laughs> which is like a total f you to uh, from Lynch and Frost. Like they thought that you know they they knew we were all waiting to see what happens with that, and they were just like, "Not going to happen, buddy." <laughs> yeah, we thought that false flag. When they would run those prints, that the FBI would be alerted, and there would be a connection made to Cooper, obviously, and then the Buckhorn storyline would converge with Vegas. But them literally like throwing that information in the trash was for me. I laughed out loud. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. I mean, well, didn't like, you notice that it also wasn't like they, they don't seem to have two separate prints? Like I thought that you know, right? Like they said that this, they're the same prints. Like right, the same prints are Mr. C's as are. Uh, you know, Agent Cooper's. There's no except you know, third for UF print, right? Either they didn't. Well, I mean, it would have been off of Dougie's print. So I don't think Dougie had the Eriv, the the spiritual mound that was reversed. That was only Mister C. So they they ran tied Dougie's it into prints. like Yankton Prison, you know. So remember, didn't Albert on the plane? See, that was my confusion with this whole thing. Was didn't Albert on the plane? So like some guy at the some guy taking the prints at the Yankton did something like they were maybe blaming that little irregularity on the Eriv finger on like a print taker, perhaps. Yeah, like some Cro Magnum, like try to reverse yeah. it to match it. I think is what or the something. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so that didn't happen. We thought that was going to happen. It was another like uh, <laughs> comedic moment. It was a pretty funny episode. This is a funny moment. So yeah, and then aside, you know what? I didn't comes... understand what the hell was going on in the other that other room. I I only watched it yeah. once. I did not what was happening. Do you know? There was just some there was like, chaos commo- going on in the other. Room. There was 
there was chaos and the two detectives Fusco were talking about their mom wanting them to come over to dinner and um, they were hoping there weren't going to be any murders that weekend and ha 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 that was just for me it's just a classic that's like Lynch's like sense of humor I think I talked about that like comparing it to Hitchcock in a prior um, podcast he just has this absurdist sense of humor and I took it that we don't know what's going on in the other room we can hear it we want we're, we're all little detectives we want to think that there's some clue there but I really don't think it means anything I think it's just a way like the, the particular scene like how he dressed it it was like alright to make some little interesting point there's something in this other room that we're not really understanding but it doesn't really mean anything and the fact that the one detective who's go through the information in the trash for me just ties it all together even though that was important information that scene didn't really have any relevance other than that. Well, the next the next big point in this scene doesn't like Tom Sizemore show up. Yeah, so Tom Sizemore shows up asking for I think Detective Clark, who was actually I think his name was on all those case files or some of the case files that Dougie was going over, and we find out that Clark or Sizemore is basically asking Detective Clark, like you know, how he can procure some poison. <laughs> To knock off Cooper, and <laughs> Pretty uh, bold to do that, like at the police station. I would right. probably try to find a more private spot, but okay. Yeah, but Sizemore's talking. He's about, he is desperate. Sizemore's talking about, hey, look, this whole operation could, could you know, burn down. I've got to take care of it. So the whole thing with Duncan Todd is tied together, obviously, with Sizemore and the police department, and with some of these, you know, insurance, you know, fraud, these claims, these fraudulent claims. For me, I mean, I just don't find it very interesting, like narratively. Um, compared to everything else, and I mean, I can follow it, um, but you know, I, I really, I just, I just want it tied up. And that's why there's no I, television series about insurance adjusters and insurance claims. And stuff, <laughs> right. Well, right. So yeah. one thing I did find uh, uh, curious about that scene, though, is that uh, John Savage, who's a, a, a very good actor, he hasn't been as prominent in the last couple of decades. He was really he had his heyday in the '70s and '80s. I believe he was in The Deer Hunter, but um, he tells. Yeah, he tells Sizemore's character, hey, okay, all right, $5,000, you can pick up the stuff at 9.30, which I'm assuming is that night. But the next time we see Sizemore actually with the poison is in the daytime. It's it's almost, you would think, the same day. The same or, day, yeah, that was yeah, weird. That was the first it, time weird thing that happened this episode. Correct, yeah. So, um, but, yeah, so we had that scene, and then I believe um, we go right back to, oh, no, I think we go to Chantal and Hutch, right? Yeah, they're cruising through uh, Utah, and uh, that was another scene where I couldn't understand what was happening. There was one line I didn't understand to make the punchline. I think I missed the punchline, but they were just talking about, uh, you know, cruising through Utah, and was there anything of, of note that occurred in that scene? Well, it could have been cut, I think, but... Uh, well, yeah, I, I agree. I think... I'm not saying the was only it funny? reason... <laughs> See, I couldn't catch the punchline. See, the one last episode was really funny, and I loved it. This one, I couldn't understand what was going on, so I didn't love it. Well, I think they were just talking about Mormons, the rules of... of the Mormonism, like not being able. Yeah, but to he goes like, you know, but I think once you got married, you can have like six of them. And then she said like something, and then he's like something about the drinks. But I didn't understand what she said, or I couldn't understand the crux at the end of that conversation. Well, I think he was referencing polygamy, right? Am yeah. I wrong about that? Yeah, and then, that's the last line. I then she said something like, "It's about the drinks." I, 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 with you, I couldn't understand. I don't watch it with closed captioning, so I watched it twice, and I still couldn't. I don't think it's relevant. It's a little. Uh, transition scene obviously and I think most importantly uh, it exists probably because of the star power of, of Tim Roth and Jennifer Jason Lee and shows they're headed west still too well yeah where, where see, but we knew that obviously I think you know that they're going to wind still up going in, to, yeah Vegas in Las Vegas but um, yeah. then I believe 
we go to the Double R Diner at um, during the daytime, and Shelly gets a phone call from Becky, who is at her trailer, I presume, right? She's calling Norma yeah, she's saying back that at the trailer. Yeah, wearing a red red sweatshirt, and uh, she's upset. And she talks about how Steven's been gone for two days, and uh, she's freaking out. And Shelly's like, oh, I'm sorry, you know. And uh, she's like, well, I'm really busy. You know, I need to work. And then he goes, well, actually, why don't you come down here and get some cherry pie and some ice cream, make you feel better. And Becky seemed to cheer up and seemed to like that. And it just seemed like a stra- It seemed like a strange scene on several different levels. It seemed like not a conversation you would have after all the insanity we just saw go th- go go through with Stephen. If you know, <laughs> Becky's calling up mom like Stephen's been gone for two days. I'd be like, he is over. Like I'd be yelling at her <laughs> to to get over this guy, you know. But she like acts like it's all fine. So I'm not sure if that that time uh, time is weird on that one. Do you what, what do you think about that scene? Well, the first thing that. Um... I, well, I liked the scene. What I really liked about it was that Shelley seemed to actually be performing some quality motherly duties. Uh, at one point, she was like, okay, I got to get back to work. Can we talk about this later? And then she catches herself and says, okay, hey, why don't you come down here? I'll you know, get you some pie with some whipped cream and some ice cream. And just like, you know, and Becky, that's what she needed. And the only other real couple scenes we've had with Shelly as a mother, she's either just like enabled her daughter by giving her money or paying off her debt. And then also uh, during a family crisis, when she sees her lover, she just takes off and doesn't say anything about it. So she really isn't like, you know, going to be, you know, winning any awards of mother of the year, but now tonight here she is. And it ties into the other scene um, at the diner, which isn't right after it comes, I think a couple scenes later where Bobby shows up and he asks for, you know, the usual, and you could tell he's looking around for Shelly, and then he sees Norma and Big Ed, and we'll, we'll talk about Big Ed a little bit later, but it was great. Oh, we, I think we did already talk about Big Ed. It was great to see him, but Norma and Big Ed are in a booth, and um, and uh, and Bobby sits down, and there's a little bit of talk, and I think he mentions that, oh, I, I got a message, I found something from my dad today, and I think Big Ed today. says, today. 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 Wait, we're like, wait a second. We just saw a couple episodes ago when he came in and the whole thing with the, bu- the, the shooting and the crazy car stuff and the, and the bug girl outside, that all happened that day. So now it's like a repeat of the same day. And it's almost like the scene with Shelly before was the same repeat of the same phone call that happened a couple episodes. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like we're seeing this again. I, I agree. There's cer- something. Oh, it's either Something's creative happening. editing um, or it's actually built into the narrative. I mean, because we talked about that scene with Hawk's living map being probably the same day that they got the message, even though it was, I think, the the next episode, and it was also the same episode where you know Bobby the gunshots at the double R, and 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 uh, and when Bobby went out, we saw the zombie girl and that that crazy woman honking the horn. But this scene here implies that. They got the, you know, this is the chair. They got the message that particular day. So those events would happen in the future. Or it could be tied into what we saw at Sarah Palmer's house, which we'll get into. But there's a time loop in that scene. I mean, she's hearing or watching a boxing match and hearing the same same like announcement, same seconds. And yeah, and an electrical <laughs> crackle. And... There's something so do you think going she's up. going through the same loop as well? Like she's going up and getting like this empty bottle, empty. Like she's just doing the same thing. 
Well, it could be. She's, she's caught in this loop while the yeah. woodsmen are going crazy inside the house, and she's <laughs> relegated to this little time loop where they have her trapped, you know? I mean, it could be just the fact... They at least give her vodka and some smokes. So they just fill up their little time loop, give her something to drink while she's watching. I mean, what a boring boxing match. <laughs> the fact that she is watching a boxing match, I find Yeah, yeah, cool. dude, it goes back to the thing. It was like boxing or bowling. Remember we talked about that like 10 right. episodes ago? <laughs> right, right. I don't think it matters what's on TV for Sarah Palmer at that point. But uh, Yeah, I was like, but, what channel is showing this match? Like 1928? <laughs> like, you know, like, what maybe, the fuck is this shit? Anyway, it's like a White Lodge boxing match. So it was very, very fucking weird. Yeah, I, I was waiting to hear. that something, or something is fucking, the time is going crazy now. We're finally getting to it. Yeah, and I, I was like waiting for the announcer to mention, and Battling Bud goes down again. <laughs> that would be awesome, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Tie into, yeah. So, um, But I will expand on this a little bit like, in our final thoughts towards the end. I want to get through some of these other scenes. Um, uh, the next scene, I believe, that um, transpired was when we go back to Vegas, and there's the scene with Sizemore and Cooper, and uh, they go meet for coffee. And you want to you want to take us uh, take us from here, Murphy? Oh yes, yeah. I thought this was like him coming, you know, running into Dougie on the way back from the police station and seeing Dougie, you know, and going, you know, hey Dougie, you know, like trying trying to talk to him and maybe seeing suss him out. But it turns out he he asked him to go have coffee, and which is always the easy catch for catch to get Dougie to do anything and <laughs> just say coffee. He's like coffee, <laughs> right. so just lead him to the coffee store. And uh, so, but it turns out he's got the poison all of a sudden, which I don't understand. But it, there's another time weirdness. But he goes and does the old switcheroo while Dougie like just is completely uh, on a mission to go in there and find some cherry pie after the, uh, the 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 scene from a couple episodes ago. So he goes to get cherry pie and uh, Sizemore, you know, poisons his fucking coffee. And uh, so here we go. So he's going to come out. The lady goes, just, you know, go outside. I'll bring you your pie. And so he goes outside and he notices <laughs> some dandruff. Well, it looked like a star skate. There's so much dandruff on the back of Tom Sizemore's fucking jacket that it looks like the Milky Way galaxy or something. And I felt like he was like, you know, I am from this planet or this is where the lodge is. And here's where the, the purple room is. And here's where the because he starts like doing this like Morse code massage of the star <laughs> stars on his back, which is just dandruff. And uh, of course, Tom Sizemore's freaking out. He doesn't even turn around. He's like, oh, God, like, he knows. He knows, he knows, he knows, he knows. And he's like, he says something. I don't know what he says. He but, says, uh, your coffee. I mean, Dougie yeah. can only, he's gotten by. He's like, yeah, what about, what about your coffee? Drink your coffee. He goes, your coffee. <laughs> and he's like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then he breaks down, he, right? Yeah, he breaks he, up and completely confesses, and, uh, which I didn't really buy necessarily, but I thought it was funny. And so he confesses to Dougie that he you know, didn't mean to do this. He's gone too far. What happened? You know, you know, he's turned into a horrible person. He ends up basically going back and confessing to their boss, you know, and so like, he's a magic man again. So he just keeps uh, avoiding death. He's avoided death multiple times. Well, I liked <laughs> that scene. Time. Yeah, I liked that. I mean, and, you know, you're right. It's, it, you know, the fact that, you know, he, all the stakes, you know, are, you know, they're so high to, uh, you know, the pressure from Duncan, obviously living this lie. And he admits, like, I can't sleep anymore. I'm like throwing up He was blood. literally hiding under his desk earlier. So he's freaking out. <laughs> Right. He goes, I think he says, I want to either die or change. And I kind of liked that line. It like was uh, yeah. kind of poignant. Okay. And I liked how Bushnell was, you know, say, hey, look, I, you know, I, you know, was ready to, you know, throw you away, you know, lock, you know, throw you to, to the wolves, throw you to jail or whatever, throw away the key. And but he's having a change of change of heart. And I, I liked that. And he's like, and, and Sizemore's character is like, anything, anything I'll do. Uh, except for when he mentioned the police, because he was he, he was a little hesitant at that point, but he still continued obviously 
um, to uh, confess and to, uh, you know, he'll do anything that, you know, Bushnell says. So I, I like that scene. Um, it, it, it's Obviously, it's not, you know, as interesting. Uh, but uh, I thought, you know, for the size, I mean, Sizemore's got some serious chops. I mean, he's he's been in a lot of, like, you know, you know good movies, and he's played some great roles. And I agree that I didn't necessarily buy that, you know, okay, the the Dougie, you know, massage slash dandruff, you know, like constellation galaxy was the thing that, you know, made him go over the edge. But I liked his performance. And, I, and like I said, I, I felt it was kind of poignant. And I, I liked the softness of, of Bushnell. Bushnell's really, you know, a, a great, you know, addition to this world of Twin Peaks. Yeah, he did a really good acting job, I think, in this episode. And uh, yeah, I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it at all, actually. I thought it was nice to not have a horribly violent scene or something, you know, terrible happen. So, well, yeah. there was one thing, too, that preceded that. Um, and I wondered if you noticed it. Very subtle. And, you know, it, it was just something that, and I don't think it means anything, but when Janie E. dropped... Uh, Cooper off to work and of course you know he doesn't just automatically get out of the car she has to you know she open it and nudges him and, and the, her look I mean yeah Watts, love like they really it? are in love it was like also like kind of like finally because she remember she was complaining about her crappy ass car and so she gets to drive her and now she's happy she's yeah. like Dougie's giving her good loving Dougie's a good guy he's no longer cheating on her he's there providing for her got the car you know, hey, she's heaven. She's in heaven. She's in seventh heaven, like which is another interesting drop. She said, there, Dougie, Sunny Jim's in seventh heaven with that uh, jungle gym. He goes, seven heaven. Oh, that's um, right. Is so that I a think, yeah? Is that I a Dante that, reference or is that something else? Yeah, you know, that's a good. That's a good, a good question. We need to look up to see what, what does seventh, the origins of seventh heaven, and what that means. But it meant something to Dougie, I think. And Obviously, we've all been speculating as what you know where that ties in. But so yeah, man, I think I think Janie is in heaven, and it was just another scene that you know we thought the last time we saw her when they were happy with their love life that they were super happy. Now they're super duper happy, which only means doom must must come soon. But uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed. The yeah, no, I do. I mean, that's that's the only part of it that is you know a little bit disturbing possibly is i like naomi watts acting when she was trying to decide whether to take the jungle gym <laughs> like you know what I'm saying i like just the, <laughs> on her face like the way she did it yeah it was great yeah. i thought that was a really great she's done such a good job she's been a fantastic character really i think it took a little while for me to get into her yeah, character but, but she's um great. she's great yeah do you want to talk about um the 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 two scenes the dynamic the big ed and norma and then the dynamic between uh dr jacoby and nadine because i liked I liked both of these scenes. These are, you know, classic characters from the original series that we haven't really got to spend a lot of time with. I think we spent the most time with Jacoby so far. We know, you know, more about what, you know, Jacoby's become. But um, do you want to kind of delve into these? Because I, I, I really did. I liked, even though it's not, you know, relevant to the plot and it might not be that interesting. I, for me, it is. I, I really, I've always loved these characters. And um, yeah, really, I like, it was really poignant. I think you know they showed there was some poignance to all of them. Everyone getting to see all the different characters, especially Ed, Ed Big Ed, still pining and yearning for for Norma. That was really the big reveal because I thought they might be married, and uh, turns out she's married to this guy who, or I don't know if she's married to him, but she's with him, and he's like expanded her, you know, double R to five chains, and so she he's all about making more money, and it's there's a whole bunch of talk about pie, and pie is becoming a big deal because she was talking about how. You know, everyone comes for her pie. She's only the fresh ingredients, but it's not making the most money. And her business advisor slash boyfriend suggests that she, you know, 
cut corners like all the other, you know, franchises do or the other, yeah, you know, and, and, you know, she won't do it. So I like that. That was nice. It's like, uh, she's trying, there's this whole, been a whole trope about consumerism and making money and she's, you know, fighting against that. But enti- the entire time they were having this conversation, the double R, you saw like big Ed behind them watching and right. it was really painful, you know, and it's sad, you know? So I think, and that ties into the last scene of the episode with him out there, you know, especially saying you can't, it's not good to eat alone. And there he is alone. So he's in love with Norma and he didn't get her. So that was, uh, that was sad, you know, and he looked good. I like Big Ed, so hopefully there'll be something with that. But I think the plot-wise, I really enjoyed I mean, do you want to talk about that before we go to the next one? Well, just another yeah. little addition or uh, comment on that scene with Norma, and I think the guy's name is Walter, and I think you even, you mentioned to me right before we started <laughs> tonight. Eight is Enough. <laughs> if anybody <laughs> is old enough to know the show Eight is Enough from the 1970s, he was on Eight is Enough as a kid. So, yeah. That was so cool. some of the things that he was talking about with the franchising and with her pie specifically, how... Um, you know, um, that you know, her pies and her name, like the brand, that's what like sells and, you know, having to make compromises, etc. cetera. I, 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 the second time I watched it and who the hell knows, I, but I, it, for me, I just got like, my mind started clicking to like this subtext with like Lynch and creative freedom and having to make compromises maybe throughout his career. And maybe that's something that's little subtext to this scene where Norma was really trying to stay true to her brand. The Twin Peaks has been around for 50 years. It's always called the double R that she's always, you know, picked these ingredients and made these pies. And the, the Walter character was like, oh, that's all. Yeah, yeah, but sometimes, you know, look at the numbers here. You know, it's like our chart says this, you know, hey, we want you to still do your thing, but maybe think about this. I, I don't know if that's the case, but it would be interesting to give that scene a little bit more subtext other than just some common dialogue about Norma's franchises. So that's what I thought about that scene. And I totally agree about everything, what you said with, with Big Ed. And I think we'll get a little bit more with him. Big Ed is a bookhouse boy. Um, maybe there's going to be something, some call out to the Bookhouse Boys, something with the Bookhouse yeah, Boys. Yeah, break out his stash, his fake stash. And, go to actually, yeah. <laughs> and the and actual wig. fake wig, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, do you, okay, let's, so do you want to talk about the Nadine and Jacoby scene then? Yeah, so then the other scene we get to see where that's cruising by. I don't know uh, where she is located in town, but we go to Norma's uh, or Nadine's store. Uh, uh, her drape runner store and there's the golden shovel outside oh, and, and we see Jacoby's little truck pull by and he stops and I think it must have been the first time he noticed that Nadine has put the gold shovel in her window and so he goes and knocks on the door and she comes out and uh, they have a great reunion you know and she talks about how he hasn't or he hasn't seen her in seven years since she was picking up a potato at the grocery store <laughs> and he's she's like you know I love you and you know I'm your number one foot soldier and uh, it's almost like they're kind of falling in love or something. I kind of like that. And it, it seems interesting, like, that they may have a, a role to play somewhere with those shovels. I don't know what. She's like, I'm, number, I'm your number one foot soldier, your number one shoveler. So maybe those shovels will play a part in something at some point. But I really like that scene, too. And I love the way they shot it outside. It just seemed like a really interesting, uh, it was just a nice little way to see, like, Nadine's uh, storyline really could be grating on my nerves, especially season two in the original <laughs> series. But this was just great. You know, and I loved it, so... Yeah, no. Poignant. I I agree. Uh, I certainly got the vibe, too, that there might have been a little undercurrent, some, I wouldn't say sexual tension, but I think the fact that Jacoby is seeing that someone who he's known, obviously, in Twin Peaks for many years, just proudly displaying his gold shovel, I think, A, there's, there's a pride to that, but also I think that with Nadine also saying that you know, oh, can I call you Dr. Amp? And you're helping me like shovel out of the shit that <laughs> yeah. there's, there's more to it. And I, I, 
with Nadine, I, I felt the same way. I always loved Nadine in, in the first season, the second season to a point. Obviously, I think it got a little too uh, absurd when you know she went back to high school. Other than that one scene with Christian Mike milkshakes at the Great Northern <laughs> post coital. You love that but, scene, uh, yeah? The post coital scene at the Great Northern. I just <laughs> love <in> disguise. His... <laughs> <laughs> She's sucking a lollipop. Yeah, and, yeah. And just his reaction when I think the concierge says, "Well, how was your stay?" And just his look. I mean, it's just I don't want to digress, but. Um, I, I, I love her uh, evolution. Like it, it seems like a lot of these, not a lot, but some of our characters 25 years later, uh, there's been some hardship. Um, it, you know, things haven't gone maybe as well, but Nadine is one of the yeah. few that okay. is a success story. And she's still a little, you know, a little, you know, bonkers. Cause she was like, Hey, look, here's your, here's your gold shovel. And, but you know, these are hundred percent like, you know, silent runners. I mean, she's still obsessed, but <laughs> she's still going to throw that in there. I like it. It's her training. Yeah, but I love that. <laughs> little scene it, it felt just so I mean I'm not trying to compare it, everything to the first season because I think that's a great or to the first season I think that's a, a great mistake but this really had a warmth to it to some of those uh, to some of the scenes in the original series and we haven't really gotten a lot of that in the new series because it is different it's a completely different beast but I did and I do I, I don't know if the gold shovels that you suggest perhaps will play maybe a little bit more important part in the narrative. It very well could be. But even if it doesn't, that this Zombies scene right them. here... Woodsman. <laughs> right. right. But even it if happened. it doesn't, the fact that we got this scene, you know, with Nadine and Jacoby and the gold shovel, that would be enough for me. So. That could even be the end if you wanted it to be of them. You know what I mean? That could be a end, the end storyline for them, I think. If you it could be. be. You're right. Yeah, it could be. Because they met each other and there it is. That's their storyline, the little rope. Or their little, their little uh, circular, yeah. So, right, so we yeah. only had two more uh, proper scenes before we 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 end. We're getting to the controversial one. Is uh, well, we have well, we talked. A <laughs> oh, little... we've tried. I forgot about the roadhouse. <laughs> well, no, we we have to talk about that. We oh, have to. God. Yeah, but um, so you, we yeah, talked. We talked a little bit about the Sarah Palmer scene. Is there? Do you want to go into maybe a little bit more because we we kind of branched off with the the time jump, the the nonlinear, the you know the nonlinear aspect. Um, but I, I personally, for me, um, obviously the previous episode returning to Sarah, seeing Sarah again and the mystery of, you know, what maybe is in the kitchen and, and her behavior. The first thing I did notice with this scene was the uh, establishing shot of the Palmer house. Um, I, I, I scrutinized it. I paused it very briefly and I noticed that Laura's bedroom, the curtains are drawn. Which is ah, completely I mean, she's gone different than, yeah. well, yeah. Or the, like who would do like, that? Who would go in every day, open and draw the, cl- the curtains in, a, in your deceased daughter's room? I don't think you'd I agree. Ever even touch I, them. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I just I think that, um, and we won't get into this now, but we'll definitely get into it when we preview part fourteen later in the week. I, I believe that part fourteen um, is going Sarah and that house tied into. The title, which is, I believe, uh, what is it? We Are Like the Dreamer, is going to play a major role. And I think it was very interesting that we got this scene with that loop and with that electrical crackle um, at the end. It was almost like it was the, 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 the ring in the, in the boxing match, right? It was almost like ding, ding, ding. And then it would have the electrical crackle at that yeah, point. Every time. Every, yeah, every, every time. time. Every time. And it, it was almost like the first half when she grabbed the bottle. Like, you know, she grabbed the bottle and then she put it down. And then I think she grabbed another bottle. 
And like, like she was in a loop, like doing that. Yeah, she just kept she, grabbing bottles. That's all she kept grabbing. I mean, yeah. Wouldn't that be hell for an alcoholic to be in some like a never-ending loop where you're completely always out of booze? <laughs> you're trying to go in and out of the kitchen, in and out, and in and out, right. in and out forever and ever and ever. It's kind of what she's in. So. Well, I mean, it, you could read it on 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 one hand. It could be like, well, this this in this little two-minute scene or however long it was, we're seeing like her pretty much life for the last twenty-five years has been this loop of her just you know, really just wilting, vegging on this sofa, watching, you know, mindless entertainment, drinking and smoking. I mean, that's really what she's doing. But I think there's more to it. I think we discussed that the house is a conduit. I think the house has like, you know, that painting, there's a a probable portal in there. There's something with that house maybe being haunted. There's so much more going on because we know Sarah is psychic to some extent. And uh, I thought this was very the foretelling and tying into some of the things that we were talking about with the, the, the nonlinear aspects with Bobby's storyline and possibly Shelley. So, yeah, it's very interesting. It was very frustrating to only see that. Like I wanted, cause we got some really cool stuff last episode with her. So I was waiting for more than just that. And you had to really pay attention to understand what was going on. But um, yeah, so I guess we're going to see something crazy. I mean, it really could tie into, I mean, I feel this is the one episode where it's been validated that there's some time jumping going on and that like you always you always presupposed or thought that at some point we were going to end up like kind of seeing this different reality where someone else lived in Laura's house and that Laura might even be alive or, you know, living a different life or something. And that scene at the double R man tied to the the Sarah Palmer loop and seeing that 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 night at the double R that Bobby and Shelly experienced two different or Bobby, at least two different experiences. I mean, it has to be that unless that bug scene where the assassin stuff happens somehow later, you know, forward in time, you know, because it, it seems like that's the, the one thing that I think is uh, this scene will be remembered as the first episode where the time shit started happening. What well, for me, that. actually, it started in, in part two, but really that was the only time yeah, where Hawk, well, Hawk yeah. was in the woods looking for Glastonbury Grove. And I, I still believe that. But the two scenes that are back to back here at the end, the scene that we just discussed with you know, all the little potential time inconsistencies and the looping of time. And then the subsequent scene is our second scene with Audrey and Charlie. And like, we have some similarities here. Yeah. We're getting, she is tucking stuck in some purgatory or something. It correct. Seems like. Yeah. So you want to talk about it? Well, I mean, I only watched it once, but it seemed like that she's still having this discussion with, uh, you know, it almost seems like her husband is her psychiatrist or her doctor. And she's, it's finally starting to crumble the whole reality of what she wants into what she's doing and where she's going. She doesn't even know, you know, who she is anymore and where the roadhouse is. You know, it's like, so her whole mental construct is collapsing is that's all I got from it. And, uh, and then she started crying. And it was really sad. So I think her brain is fucked up. I mean, that's at least what I'm getting is that she's not, uh, in tomb reality and that this guy maybe not even is her husband well yeah didn't he say like didn't he say like do you want me to end the story audrey yeah yeah what story was that she said like something about the story about the girl in the lake or something what was that yeah something about a little girl on a lake yeah yeah i i didn't maybe it's a a literary reference it could be like one of those deals like some like remember those verbal like when you end like your hypnotist your hypnotism oh there's a in the yeah to snap you out of it or something maybe i don't know yeah but i think it's deeper than that don't you think it's more than yeah um, i think she has some mental issues probably probably from the bank she was in a coma for so long you can lose all kinds of oxygen to your brain and be completely fucked up this could all be in her head you never know yeah there's there's Um, something it's not i don't think it's i'm convinced now that it's not 
you know, uh, on the surface, what we're seeing, like last episode, like that is her husband. Maybe that's her home. He's got a lot of work. He's too sleepy. And she wants to go find the guy that she's fucking, Billy. I think all of this is a construct of some sort. Now, I don't know if it's a dream. I don't know if she's in a coma. I don't know if it's some kind of like alternate reality. I, I don't really think that it would be that. But I think it would be interesting, though, if all of these characters that she's mentioning are like either parts of her personality or people like closest to her, whether it's her family and or Cooper. And if Billy was like a Cooper, perhaps, you know, like wanting to like be in love with him, like fucking him, like if she was in this extended dream state, who would she probably be thinking about as Cooper? Well, maybe Justice Jack, but um, it could be either or. But um, well, in that room, had... obviously, people have talked about it on Twitter. But the room that she's in, like everything, there's no modern, there's no modern oh, technology, there's no nothing. Oh, that room could be right. from 1990, exactly. So there's nothing wow. in there indicating that she's even in like 2017. So I didn't even think about that. You know what? That's 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 salient. That really is because he didn't he use like a rotary phone. The dial. Yeah, last I mean everything is like a totally right. old school. So yeah, yeah so that's and she story. said like I think she said I'm not sure who I am, but I'm not me. Yeah, and then she she wanted to go to the roadhouse, but then she didn't want to go. Um, and then you know what? One other thing that she mentioned um, at the very end, I think she said I don't know if it's exactly what she said, but it's like Ghostwood, like Ghostwood yeah, development. That? Oh, that's right? right. What was that? Something about Ghostwood. What the fuck yeah. was that? Well, the whole thing, the last time we saw her, obviously, you know, in the original series is when she was, you know, pulling the whole civil disobedience and going to the bank and, you know, chaining herself to, to the vault. And it was to stop Against Ghostwood. Ghostwood states. Right. right. So she still and got that in her head. That's so if it was, if that was, that's the only thing that makes me believe yeah. possibly that it could be an extended coma is that, that would be one of her last real memories is Ghostwood. Um, but I thought that way. I love because here we are, you know, 13 hours into it. And uh, even though I know we don't have Catherine and or Josie, Pete's gone, sadly. Um, no mention to the Ghostwood development. I, I thought that was actually going to play a part, you know, in, in, the, uh, in, in the new series. But uh, Ben hasn't even left his office even though I've loved all the horn scenes. But um, but that, no, uh, we'll get well, into... Well, you would also think that if someone named a place in Twin Peaks in the woods called Ghostwood, that would be an interesting place to check out, don't you think? <laughs> I agree, <laughs> I know? agree, I agree. Okay, my friend, now we're saving the best for last. Let's go, final thoughts. Ladies and gentlemen, no, not final thoughts. Ladies and gentlemen, the Roadhouse welcomes... James. <laughs> That's what you're saying. <laughs> oh, God. He sang the song. I would be really afraid to sing that song again if I was him. But he sang the song that he sang when Bob crawled over the fucking couch, dude. Yeah. I laughed. I started laughing when he did it. But I enjoyed it. And I loved the little two the two ladies that they had, the young women that were doing the Donna and, and uh, Maddie singing. Like, they seemed like they were ghostly. It was a very – and then obviously, she, he's in love with uh, the woman that was crying. Who's, uh, she works at the double R, right? With Shelly? Is she one of I Shelly's friends? Don't, she's one of Shelly's friends. We don't know if she works at the Double R. Her character name is Renee. Renee, yeah. She was in like episode two, right? She yes. was hanging out. So there yes. she was, and he was like singing the song to her, right? Obviously. Oh, I think so, don't you yeah. think? Yeah. yeah. He's such a I romantic, so. that James. He's still got he it. He is. Is that him really singing that but, song, you think? Well, that was, I think, I mean, they just took that same soundtrack from, exactly you know, one, yeah. it wasn't it's live, exactly yeah. the same. I don't think. They... But I wonder if he can hit the high notes like that. Is that really his voice <laughs> is singing for us? He's like Barry Gibb or something. <laughs> He's got the voice hey, of an angel. If, if anyone could do it, my friend, it would be James Hurley. Could but be James. I, he could do I loved, I, I mean, I just loved, okay, first of all, we got the roadhouse scene. And anytime I see a roadhouse scene, I think, okay, it's over. And I love the fact that 
And it wasn't. And it wasn't. And I, Bob, loved... I wanted Bob to come out of the damn. That would have been great for him to come out of the crowd, but he didn't. <laughs> you wanted Bob to kind of like you know appear. Yeah, come the... slithering through the crowd, coming at him. Yeah, or <laughs> him to would've... see it, see Bob or something. <laughs> I would have been really stoked to see that. That would have been great. But I loved that moment. James has gotten a lot of hate from a lot of people over the years. I've never personally like hated on James. I mean, he's laughable. He's you know at at, at moments, but. I understood the character. I like the sincere. character. Yeah, he, and he's, he's sensitive. And yeah, I really sensitive. liked him in Firewalk with me. And um, that that scene when he, he was singing Just You and I in the original series was, it was so absurd, like, you know, to go over to Donna's house and have this set up and, okay, let's try it, let's try <laughs> it from it the top awesome, again. Though. It was awesome. <laughs> and to have that return, yeah, it was like, it's fucking great. I don't think it was just pure nostalgia. Um, I, I think it, it, it's tied into kind of maybe the ageism of, of the narrative and obviously the evolution of, of the characters and something's changing, something's not changing. But for me, like you mentioned, is the uh, the two backup singers, the evocation of Donna and Maddie. I mean, I I, it, I don't think it's chance that, you know, they were both brunettes and, and dressed maybe of another time. And they, they did. wrapped in plastic. I've been great. <laughs> but um, I did. I, and I love the, the Renee's reaction um, being emotional and you know Shelly said you know James has always been cool and he just I, it was just such a heartwarming scene and uh, I, I loved it on, on many different levels and uh, I'm, I'm glad for James to get this and hopefully he'll get a lot more love now here in uh, 2017 than he's had for the past 25 years he's got a lovely singing voice that's one thing so that's, <laughs> that's it so uh, you have any final thoughts for this episode my friend um, yeah, that, just again like the, the end credits with Big Ed of course you know um, it's just he you know, did we talk about him like burning that little piece of paper no that's that would have been my final thought is that he burned a little piece of paper kind of like the fire remember like i guess it was leland or whoever wrote firewalk with me in blood at the crime scene back in the olden days on a little piece of paper he was burning a little piece of paper it might have meant nothing or might have been like symbolism that the fire's coming to twin peaks but i thought that was an interesting little touch there at the end yeah and I, for me it felt like you know here he is after just saying that line to bobby like, you know no one should eat alone and here he is eating alone at his you know, place of business, and you can see the cars going by, and you can hear the cars going by. And you know, he was just with Norma. He just saw Norma's, you know, you know, new beau, or you know, who knows how long they've been together. And it's like, you know, we know the dynamic, at least from the prior series, that Ed and Norma are, are almost cursed to not be together, even though that they're they're in love, have been in love, they're probably still in love. And I got that vibe even in, in the diner, the double R tonight. And that here it is. Now it's like, you know, maybe it's like, you know, uh, you know, the fall is, is turning into winter. There's not that many years left and time is passing by. Um, and for me, it really, really, really like, I wouldn't say overwhelmed me, but really like, hit me. And I, I, I got emotional and I really, really um, enjoy that scene. And I love no music over the credits. I love the ambiance of that. But the, the, the little subtle, you know, whatever that piece of paper meant, I mean, we very well may not know, but I just love the inclusion of that because it adds just another little, you know, extra component to all of these emotions swirling around. And so I think overall, even though it, you know, uh, maybe the expectations with maybe more of the Mr. C or more of the lodging and elements, more of maybe Philip Jeffries and all these other uh, plot threads. For me, what we got was very enjoyable. I loved the pace. I loved, uh, I love, I loved the whole episode. I really did. And, and I'm, I'm, uh, I think we're going to be uh, going to Jackrabbit's Palace in Part 14. Finally, that's that's that'll be my finally. We're going to hold you to that. You've been saying that for the last couple episodes. I'm going to hold you to this one, okay? Okay, all right. Okay, 
Uh, on that note, uh, yeah, you guys can uh, follow us on Twitter, on Facebook. Uh, ch- give us feedback, comments, ideas to choppingwoodinside at gmail.com. Um, yeah, uh, any, nothing else to say today? Um, no, why don't, what about your final thoughts, Murphy? Uh, I thought this, I mean, this episode was a little disappointing when I first saw it, but once I started to figure out the whole time thing going on and really thinking that like the, the, that seeing Bobby for the second time, um, at the double R that really sparked something in me, um, as well as the Sarah Palmer stuff. So I, I like the episode, but I definitely want some action next episode. So I think, okay. I thought. think that my, my <laughs> final, final thought will be, I, I think so. I think part 14 is, I'm not going to say it's going to be on part, uh, you know, part eight, I really do believe that we're going to, you know, set off for Jack Rabbit's Palace. I think that we're going to have the return of, of Albert, Cole, Diane, and Tammy um, to either Vegas and or Twin Peaks. And Chantal and Hutch will come to Las Vegas, and I think that storyline will wrap up uh, probably with some kind of tragedy. And I really think that the, it's building either part 14 into 15 is the, the return of Laura Palmer. So I think, you know, strap, you know, strap on your heels and uh, your hard hats and uh, get ready. It's, it's the last five hours are going to be really intense, but this episode was fantastic. Well, yeah, and also to enjoy him. I like your analogy talking about, like, Lynch, uh, the analogy of Norma's uh, artisanal pie and how the care she takes in making the pies, and that's what Lynch is doing with making all of these episodes. So also be sure to enjoy everyone like a delicious slice, which is what we've been doing. So until on that note, we'll see you guys in a couple days. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Just you.